pray with me. Spirit living God, fall fresh now on this preacher and on these your precious, precious children. Amen. Lent, my brothers and sisters, was created so that we would have an opportunity, at least for six weeks, to examine our spiritual lives, to see where our relationship is with God. Are we being all that God wants us to be? Are there things that God is challenging your heart to change? Are there ministries that God is birthing in your heart? How is your relationship with Christ? Is it strong enough to handle all that we see in our world every single day in the newspapers, televisions? Is your relationship with Christ strong enough to overcome all the violence and the evil that we see in the world. We're using La Miserable to get at the heart of that relationship because in the story, a story that's intertwined with characters who are living in turmoil in the 19th century France, turmoil that's not much different than some people live in today. You see, it's a story of poverty, affluence, broken dreams, love, and redemption. It, at the heart, is a story of a broken world, a world that's not functioning the way God wants it to function. A world with broken lives that produce broken hearts, broken dreams, broken lifestyles. The story of La Miserable branches into a variety of lives to give us a diversity, a symphony, if you will, of what's going on. There is a corrupt innkeeper. There's a group of young revolutionaries disgusted by the oppression of the poor that they do something. There is the young street kids that are running around aimlessly. And then there is young love, oh, young love, that seeks to comfort everything. But written throughout the heart of the story is law versus grace. It, then the answer to those questions play out with two characters, John Valjean and Inspector Javert. The story begins, as you remember, with Valjean being released from prison after 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. 19 years on the chain gang. He was finally, finally paroled and vowed to start his life over and make a new start of it. His despair, his despair returns him to a life of petty crime. 
he's caught by the police after stealing silver from a bishop who housed him when nobody else would. This bishop gave him shelter. When the police brought him back to the church, everything changed. The bishop denies to press charges because he said it really belonged to him. It was his silver. He gifted them to Valjean. And then gives him the prize of the silver collection, the silver candlesticks. Valjean deserved punishment and judgment and condemnation, but instead he receives grace. And not just forgiveness for that sin, but an abundant, over-the-top gift. This act is the heart of La Miserable. Grace transformed Valjean. The priest sings, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness, and I have bought you, bought your soul for God. And brothers and sisters, the heart of what we are trying to retrieve during this Lenten season, do you understand that Christ bought our soul from the clinches of sin and evil? That though we commit crimes against God, God is always willing to forgive a repentant heart. And we can move on. Most are like Inspector Javert, whose life is marked by ruthless. His commitment to the law, the letter of the law. He sings, mine is the way of the Lord and those who follow the path of righteousness shall have their reward. And if they fail as Lucifer failed, the flame, the sword, there is no mercy for Javer. There is no grace for Javer. He wants only to capture Valjean, to bring him to justice, because after all, prisoners can never change their lives. Broken dreams. Law versus grace. Every character in the story experiences weight and tragedy of the fallen world that they live in. And brothers and sisters, people we may not know living around us and living through us are experiencing hardships because of the broken world we live in. They are all faced with the inelible disappointments. Well, John leaves the jail hoping to start afresh only to be haunted by his past. Every, every turn, Javert reminds him he is a criminal. Fontaine sings of a life of love and hope even as her life spirals apart. She's trying to do the right thing, but alas, she's sent into the streets begging, selling teeth, her hair, and finally her body. She is sick and dying 
when she sings. I dream a dream in the time gone by when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiven. I had a dream my life would be different, so different from this hell I'm living in. Her daughter, young Cosette, sings of a castle in the clouds as she's staying with uh, her parents. Her mother left her with these adoptive parents to take care of her while she go out and work. She dreamed of a sweet, sweet palace that she wouldn't have to work like a slave for her foster parents. Eponine sings of being lonely, an unrecredited love. A love that went unnoticed by her suitor. A love that would, offer, would, would, would ultimately lay down her life for the one she loved. Then there are a group of young students disgusted by the oppression of the poor and they dreamed of a revolution that would turn the tides and set the government on the course where it belongs. So they build a barricade not to keep war out but a place where they could fight the injustices of the world. The story of the law amiss, the friends. It's like a rising tide, the author said, complicated by a thousand eddies. Friends of the ABC, ready to take up arms against the French monarchy in order to establish a republic that will offer freedom to the oppressed and the impoverished. Friends of the ABC, a play on words. The French pronunciation of ABC sounds like the French word abasse, which means oppressed. They are the friends of the oppressed. The uprising seems doomed, but Marius and his fellow students nonetheless stand their ground and vow to fight for freedom and democracy for the poor. The students discover Javert among their ranks. They discover him as a traitor, a spy. They tie him up as the army launches its first attack over the wall. Eponine throws herself in front of a rifle that was meant to kill the love of her life, Marius. As Eponine dies in Marius' arms, she hands him a letter from Cosette. Marius quickly scribbles a reply and orders a boy to go and deliver the letter to Cosette. There was hopelessness that they, there was hope that they could win a war that was unwinnable for them. But on the other side was, 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 despite of all the despair, despite of all the odds against them, there was an optimism. In spite of the tremendous, tremendous weight that they could never overcome, was hope. There was lying dormant because where they were from hope unborn had already died 
But there was the hope that they would build a better world. So those of us who came of age in the 60s, we realize what it's like on college campuses where students began revolutions. We saw a Southern governor stand at the university doors and say that segregation today, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. We saw the students at that university stand up and say, that will not last less than two years. Jim Crow was outlawed in Mississippi. After that, black Freedom movements began in college dorms and college campuses all over America, anchored the 60s upsurge and didn't stop. It gained momentum in Vietnam. It threatened genocide by the TEC, offended in 1968. It shook the war machine that had been going on in Vietnam. It took Washington by surprise when the students demanded justice for the Vietnamese. And it wasn't just Vietnam. All across what was called the third world, freedom movements were shaking colonialism and foreign denominations from Uguaraway to Palestine, from Africa to the Philippines. Students were rising and went on 31 March 1968, Lyndon Baines Johnson withdrew from the presidential race and announced that talks had begun with Vietnam to end the war. The protesters believed that they had taken part in overthrowing the president and causing him to see the light. Hope quickly gave way to assassination of President, assassination of President's sons, assassination of Martin King. Looking to the events of Jesus' last week in Jerusalem. Jesus was a revolutionary. Much like the students on our college campuses in the 60s and the young students in our story. Jesus was a revolutionary. During the funeral march of the general that had died in La Miserable, the students see this as the opportunity to start their revolution. It sparks and ignites people to build a barricade. The, the city was dreaming, with, with, with steaming with emotions. And on June 5th, 1832, the body of the general, the hero of the empire, the supporters of the left led in procession for the burial. The friends of the ABC, along with a whole lot of other students, come to the parade armed and ready to fight. Much like the Roman soldiers who would extend extra military assistance in Jerusalem during the Passover. When Jesus entered the city, there was thought to be 24,000 troops in the city because the city was steaming to overflowing with hundreds of thousands of people surrounding the area. The Romans were on guard for anything that would happen as a result 
of the rumors of this Jesus of Nazareth, the new king of the Jews coming into the city. They were prepared. The difference between this Jesus movement and all the rest, even though we know that the followers of Jesus was armed because we saw Peter unsheathe his sword and cut off the ear of one that was trying to arrest Jesus. And we immediately see the Lord healed him. Jesus' movement in a city teeming with thousands of people, perhaps the biggest miracle of that story, even though he turned over the money changer's table and wanted people to leave, perhaps the biggest miracle of that story is no one unsheathed their swords and there was no violent uprising because Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. Pilate continued to ask him, where is your kingdom? Not of this world. Thousands in Jerusalem for Passover. No violence. No brother against brother. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't matter whether you were Jewish or Gentile, male or female, slave or free. You were accepted in Jesus' kingdom because it's not of this world. There was no violent war to be fought. The war was fought over the human heart, giving their lives to God, who was bigger than any of the petty things that human beings could do. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. In Jesus' kingdom, there will be no poverty when it's fulfilled. We know that his kingdom is present in the world, yet not fulfilled because we are here. We are the new citizens of the kingdom of heaven, not a pie in the sky when we die, but a real live movement here, grounded in earth, but hearts sunk into the love of God. Our mission is to fulfill that kingdom, a kingdom that represents Wherever men and women are who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, regardless of their color, regardless of their cultural identity, regardless of their political party, regardless of their denomination, it doesn't matter if they're Jew or Gentile, saint or sinner, Jesus' kingdom is meant to house everybody because everybody is God's child. Jesus' kingdom is open to all. And when the highest reward comes, none of us here will be able to say the words, well done, my good and faithful servants. That would be a task that only the master will bring who he will bring into the ultimate kingdom when the kingdom of God is really fulfilled here on earth. Only the master is able to separate the weak from the tares. The best thing we can do now as kingdom citizens of an almighty God is to pray each day for God's Holy Spirit 
to lead and guide the church. So if people can't get along anywhere else, when they see the church gather, wherever we are, they see people who can lay down the sword of hate, lay down the sword of hurt, lay down the sword of prejudice, and come together in the name of Jesus. Because in Jesus' kingdom, where two or three are gathered in his name, there is the king in the mix. Nowhere does that play out more than in what we call communion. The very last supper that Jesus ate with his disciples. You could see in that room were men and women, which is strange to have women there. In that room were men and women and even the one who would betray him, even the one who would deny him before the rooster crowed three times, all set at table. Because Jesus' fellowship, Jesus' kingdom is open to all saints and sinners. And Jesus sought to redefine what it meant to be a part of his kingdom and the church. He said, take this, take this wafer, take this bread, and as you break it and you eat it, remember, this is my body that was broken for you. And here's the clincher. And for many, for the forgiveness of sin, not just broken for us, but for memory, for many. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. And oh, that, that, that after bread drink that you're drinking, that's representative of the blood of the new covenant that I'm going to seal in heaven for you. This is the blood that's going to make sure that no matter who you are, you are welcome as a kingdom citizen in God's great by and by. As often as you drink it, remember me. Friend, the key to remembering our mission is to remember Jesus in our lives. No matter what we are going through today, tomorrow, or next year, Christ will never, ever leave us. Almighty God, thank you for this holy mystery, this communion meal, in which we didn't do anything to come to the table but accept you. Bless those who have received it. Bless those who look upon it and want to receive it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.